You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for showing up and tuning in to the show. Um, however you tuned in, that would be pretty impressive if you sort of have an internet dial that you can kind of tune. But uh, nevertheless, thank you for being here. And um, okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the Ancient Aliens trailer. Just put that out yesterday, and I think it went well. You can check it out at the at the website, NowhereToRunRadio.com, or at the uh, movie's website, which is ancientaliensdebunked.com, and I posted on Facebook and all that stuff too. So check it out. Also sign up for if if you're interested in it. There's a there's an email list at the website ancientaliensdebunked.com. Just put your email in there. I'll send you an email when the when the film comes out in September. So it's kind of a long ways away. I realize that there's a few reasons for that. Obviously, I'll be gone for two months in Africa. So and I really want to spend a lot of time with the research here. We're still just uh, plowing away with the research, but there's so much to do with the research. It's unlike anything that I've ever done in terms of the um, depth and breadth of the of the material that needs to be addressed. So there's a lot of stuff like that uh, going on. Also, I'll be interviewing Mike Heiser um, the end of August. He's actually coming to Nashville for... Uh, uh, four days we're going to be in the studio, in uh, the TV studio here in Nashville. We're going to be recording a, uh, a DVD about uh, the Bible, about hermeneutics, but also doing an interview for the Ancient Aliens Debunked Project. So we're really excited to have him a part of the uh, Ancient Aliens Debunked Project. And uh, so that that's one reason why it, it's late, because that'll be late August. So it's actually kind of pushing it to say that everything will be done in post-production and everything by September, but I think it, we can make it work. Real quick update on Africa. Um, everything's wrapping up pretty well. I'm waiting on some software um, uh, uh, from back from the developer for the, the cell phone stuff, and once that's in place, I'll, I'll, I'll have just a few more things to do. Almost done with the writing and stuff like that. I have one more session to write. But pretty well coming to a conclusion with all the, the research and stuff with uh, the Africa projects. And um, right now I'm really just studying about Africa. I just am, am reading books and listening to podcasts, just trying to just trying to learn about Africa, its history, what's going on in Kenya and Uganda and stuff like that, just in hopes that it'll be useful to some degree. I'm actually trying to learn Swahili to agree to a degree with the time that I have Um which is not very much, uh, but uh, I'm doing pretty good with it. I think I've got enough to get get by with the basics, so we'll see how that goes. Um, what else, show note-wise? Oh, got the, the website hacked, uh, Revelations Radio Network, my, my, my uh, website. A lot of my websites, it seems like, have got hacked. Um, I don't know what the deal is. I think it's a WordPress thing. And the only way I know is that uh, it's showing up on my virus antivirus software when I go to certain sites, and so I think I think I figured some stuff out. But man, I'll tell you what, that is just uh, over my head with with cleaning out viruses on on websites. So if anybody knows a lot about that stuff, uh, let me know. Um, I think I, I don't know, especially if anybody is noticing that their antivirus software is is going off on a, one of the sites, whatever sites it is. Uh, let me know. Send me an email and let me know so I can kind of get an idea of which sites have been uh, hacked and whatnot and know where to what's to start doing. Um, 
What else? And I think that's pretty much all with show note stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, I am hoping to be able to do a lot more of of stuff with verse-by-verse Bible teaching. I, I kind of lament the fact that I haven't been um, doing that. That's really, in a perfect real world, that's, that's kind of what I want to do full-time, is just do Bible uh, research and, 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 and teaching and stuff like that. In fact, I'd love to do like full video studies, like verse by verse studies of books of the Bible, but not just audio, but like full productions of, of those studies. And, and, and I'd love to do that. In fact, that's what I'm hoping when all, everything settles down, if it ever settles down, um, at the end of Africa, at the end of ancient alien debunked at the end of the Heiser DVD project and everything else that's going on. When all the dust settles, I hope to just go full time Bible study, but who knows? I always say stuff like that, and then something comes up, and I want to do that too. So, anyways, um, but uh, let's see here. A few things I wanted to talk about today. They are difficult questions like the Sabbath. I've always wanted to do a video about the Sabbath because it's a question that I get quite often, and it's something that uh, I had a lot of questions about. And it's a complicated subject. It's not some, the reason why there's so much sort of nonsense out there about it is because it's, it's, it's a very complex subject in the Bible. If you want to do a study on the Sabbath, you can do a huge study on the Sabbath. Um, because it's so important to the redemptive idea too. I mean, the Sabbath is a type and shadow of Christ. As Colossians 2.16 says, I mean, and, and the, it's a perfectly interesting picture of Christ. And because of that, there's a lot of complexity to it. And so there's a lot of questions about it too. And I think that it's real easy, like I did right when I was first saved to get into a legalism thing with the Sabbath, basically, because, you know, somebody comes along and says, Hey, didn't they tell you that the Sabbath is, it, it you know, or, or that Sunday's not really the Sabbath. And, um, and that's kind of a straw man argument. I mean, most Bible scholars and pastors know full well that the, the, the Sabbath is actually on Saturday and not Sunday. They'll call Sunday the Lord's day or something to that effect. So it's kind of a, a false, you know, um, <laughs> a, a straw man that they're knocking down. And then people say, wow, oh my goodness. So it's Sunday. You mean like the, the pagan worship of Sunday? And I've mentioned a few times that's kind of a lame argument because if you're choosing Saturday over Sunday, you're just choosing the God Saturn over the, the sun, which of course, it, it, all the names in English of the, uh, of the days are, are taken from pagan deities. For instance, uh, you know, even Tuesday is the god Tew, uh, the sky god. Monday is the moon and so on and so forth. All of them are pagan. So that's not a good argument, but, um, you know, I think that most people will say, yeah, but it's a, one of the Ten Commandments. You know, how are we supposed to say that we, we, we should murder, uh, and everything? So what should we do about the Sabbath? And I think I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. I wish I had gone through and, and put together some notes and stuff like that. I, I feel bad sometimes with the listeners here because I just kind of, right before I do a, uh, a show. I'll just like, okay, time to do a show. Let's get some notes together. And, you know, I just throw it together in five minutes and, and just shoot from the hip. Um, so you guys deserve better than that. But if you want better than that, you can go to verse by verse Bible teaching or something like that. Um, so I don't even know where to start with this. Um, 
first of all, I guess to start with that idea of is is it really the the um is the Sabbath actually on Saturday? Yes. I mean, there's no changing of the Sabbath. Certainly the Catholic Church did something like that and saying the Sabbath is Sunday. And there's a small segment of, um, of uh, Protestants that believe that the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday too. And they're pretty unique, uh, people, but, but there's a lot of things that they, that people carried over from the Catholic Church. For example, a lot of the reformed eschatology, their belief in the end times, really is just a copy and paste from the Catholic Church. And I think possibly their, the Puritan idea, which is where, what this idea is pretty unique to, that Sunday is the new Sabbath, is also uh, kind of a copy and paste job from the Catholic Church. But most Protestants don't believe that. The the reason why the early church went to church, if you will, on Sunday uh, was not because they thought it was a Sabbath day, but rather because it was the day that uh, Jesus was witnessed alive. All four Gospels mention that Jesus was witnessed alive on the first day of the week on Sunday. And then there was a 40-day period between um, the time that he rose from the dead on Easter and or Passover or whatever, and all the way to... Um, to his ascension, which happened, uh, some say 40 days later, I think in Acts, it mentions that it was 40 days later. During that time when he was on earth, he, he talked with his disciples on various occasions. We don't know exactly what he did during that whole 40 days, but we, but it does mention in various places that when he showed up to talk with his disciples, it was on the first day of the week and he would eat with them. And we get stuff from like Justin Martyr and other early church, um, uh, fathers to mention that this was the reason for, meeting on Sunday. That's why they called it the Lord's Day. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be a dogmatic thing. Um, we know that they were probably working on the Lord's Day, uh, which would have been the first day of the week, uh, based on the Corinthians passages. Some were getting there late, probably because uh, of work and things like that, uh, to the to the meals that they were having. So I would just say that uh, um, the straw man arguments about that really don't hold up when you know the history of, of why people were meeting on the first day of the week. And when people say that kind of stuff like, oh, don't you know that, uh, you know, Sunday is just a pagan worship of the Sunday and it was changed and the Sabbath is truly the Saturday. Really, that's just sort of straw man elitism. You know, it's like, hey, I know something that you don't know. Therefore, I'm going to go this crazy direction when it's just a straw man. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, that the only reason that is elite sounding is because um because you don't know the other side of the story so it's kind of a ironic twist that it's sort of you know this gnostic elitism when in actuality it's really not known very much at all um okay so moving on to the basics of it let's just move on back to Exodus 20 um this is where the commandment for the Sabbath uh, takes place. And it's interesting. I mean, well, we'll just read it. Exodus 20, verse 8. This is an interesting commandment in that it explains a lot about the commandment. Um, there's really not any other commandment that it, that goes into any depth about it. But this one is unique in that, in that way. It's unique in several ways as far as the commandments go. But uh, it certainly has a lot to say about itself here in Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor 
uh, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Um, okay, so one of the things that I want to mention there is uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He is wanting them to remember this. Remember the Sabbath. He's he's commanding them to do something. And in in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and then, you know, rested on the seventh day. He he wants them to do something in memorial to what happened in Genesis. The reason why he wants them to do this outward expression every single week uh, of resting is for the purpose of remembering, recalling something that he did um, back in Genesis. So we need to understand the importance of what, what he's telling them to remember. Obviously, he considers his resting on the seventh day in the garden extremely important. Like, that's the whole reason why he wants them to do this, is to remember what he did. Um, and we connect this um to colossians 2 uh, i'm going to read i'm going to read the whole thing later i think but right now i'm just going to read uh, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of christ so this is saying that these these things were shadows of christ now this is not a very difficult theological thing uh, if you Look into, say, the, the, the feasts like the Passover feast, the Passover lamb clearly is talking about Christ. And we could talk all about the Passover and how every instance of it, you know, was not only pointing forward to Christ, but also fulfilled by Christ in very intricate ways. I mean, he showed up on his triumphal entry on the day that they chose the Passover lamb. He was killed on the very day that they killed the Passover lamb. Everything about the Passover meal was was important. He didn't drink the last cup because he drank it on the cross and then said it is finished. There's a whole thing that we could talk about all throughout Scripture about the Passover feasts, which, by the way, were also supposed to be kept forever uh, in Numbers 10. I don't know where Numbers... 23 maybe i don't know don't quote me on that but we'll talk about what the forever bits in a bit um so i hope i'm shooting from the hip again here so i'm I'm hoping i hit all the points i want to hit um so there another point to this would be probably found in hebrews 4 and so i'll read that really quickly it says um this is kind of a long one but I will start uh, at verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, speaking of um, Moses and the children of Israel. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard, heard it. He's talking about, uh, to set this up quickly, uh, at uh, uh, when the children of Israel didn't go into the land uh, that didn't believe God, that didn't believe God could do it. Um, there was, uh, obviously, there was, it was a big point. The Bible makes a big deal about it. And this is, and it refers to them and their rebellion at that mo- moment. For we who have believed do enter, enter rest. He had said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, 
in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, he's, he's quoting the psalm here from David, by the way. This is in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews is quoting the psalm from David. They shall not enter into my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time it has been said, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay, so here he connects the Sabbath to resting from our works. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So there's an interesting point to be made with Hebrews 4. And I think that I made it to some extent in the verse-by-verse Bible teaching on this passage. So I won't go into too much detail about it, but I do want to point to the idea here that the Sabbath was extremely important for for pointing the Israelites to salvation in Christ, to grace um, by God for their disobedience, um, that it was pointing forward to Christ. In the same way that they would sacrifice the 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 lambs. Um, you know, a lot of people have trouble with the sacrifices, but... <laughs> If you look at it, it's such an interesting picture of Christ too. I mean, if you were going to, for the, for example, the lamb sacrifice or whatever, if you were going to do that, it was one of the types of sins that you had to admit that you were a sinner first. You, you could sin in, in a lot of ways and never really tell anybody, never go get a lamb, whatever. But if you were convicted about it and you went and got, you went and admitted this sin and you went and purchased a lamb, um, and it had to be, you know, perfect. Uh, it couldn't be blemished. It couldn't have physical defects or anything. You've got to purchase this little innocent lamb. You've got to take it to the high priest or to the priest, I guess, and just and, and you, they actually make you put your hand on this thing while they kill it. This poor innocent lamb dies in front of your face because of something that you did. You have to watch this perfect innocent lamb that did nothing wrong, die because of your sin. Okay? Now, that is a picture of Christ, clearly. And in a way, it, it's, you know, the sacrifices were not works. We tend to think that these people in the Old Testament were saved by works. They weren't. They were saved by grace. You know, it, those things, the sacrificial system was there to cover their sins. Um, as the book of Hebrews later makes a case, it, it, it needs to be done continually, whereas Christ's sacrifice doesn't. It's uh, it's perfect, but but and we could go into the theological reasons for that and everything else too. Um, but uh, I want you to see that so that just like that, the Sabbath also was extremely important in point, pointing them towards Christ. As the Colossians verse says, they were a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. Colossians makes the point, look, the substance is here. Let me go ahead and read that entire uh, passage in Colossians so you can get the context. It's very important to get the context in that verse um, because people will try to say the Sabbath doesn't really mean Sabbath here, and we could talk about that too. Uh, it says, in him, you were, uh, no, yeah, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's interesting first to notice that he's talking about circumcision here. He's including that in the context of all this stuff because um, 
I, I don't want to go into it too much, but I do want you to note that. Buried with him in baptism, in, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. I know a lot of you are thinking, now what are you going to say, Chris? We don't need to, to, uh, to keep the Sabbath. It's the Ten Commandments and all this stuff. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But I want you to notice he's saying clearly uh, that don't let anyone judge you in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things were required by the law you know, to keep forever, for all your days. Forever is what they required. And Paul's simply saying, no, no, don't let anybody judge you. He later says, you know, some men esteem one day, um, you know, above all and, other, and some others alike. But uh, I should find that verse so I don't butcher it too badly here. Okay, here it is, Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who is, does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat and gives and gives God thanks. I'm going to read this actually in context because it's interesting that to see Paul kind of interchanging this idea of eating and esteeming one day above another uh, in the same in the same wonderful passage here in Romans 14, which is all about this idea. Um, let me just read from verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to not disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let, him, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, I will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Let me talk about this real quick. So it's interesting first to say, receive one who is weak in faith, uh, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. That's kind of contrary to what you would think. I mean, if you were to think about the beginning of a Christian walk, somebody who's weak in the faith, you would probably expect that person to be kind of um, lax, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm just getting into this. I don't really have to do all the, the whole thing right away, you know. But that's not what this says, and it's not what we see in practice either. It says that one who is weak in the faith, faith eats only vegetables. Now, he's going to talk much more about eating, as we've already seen, about days, keeping days and stuff like that. He's talking about... Um, you know, Jewish laws and things like that. I mean, clearly there was, if you were going to go super on the other end of the, of the Jewish uh, faith, you know, you're worried, Hey, I don't want to eat that meat to idols. I don't want to eat the, is that the wrong meat? Is that sacrifice to this? Is, you know, whatever. I'm just going to eat only vegetables. You know, they're, they're so worried about the, the, the law and the legalism and offending and everything that they don't do anything. And so that's what he says that a person who's weak in faith eats only vegetables. Um, but, this is interesting what he says to the person who does know uh know about it theologically he says let him who eats dis let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for god has received him who are you to judge another servant for 
his own mas- uh, his own mastery stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Now, this is where the the Bible encourages me in this entire chapter to tell you about this this part. The Bible makes exceedingly very abundantly clear that in regard to these issues of what what the doctrine of Christian liberty that is there are things that are not required by us anymore. Um, but as Paul says, not all, yes, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. And we'll get into exactly what that means in relation to the Sabbath and everything else in just a minute. But the thing that the Bible says most of all to me is that when a person is there, don't tell them to, to not do it. Uh, encourage them in, in, uh, as long as they have convictions about it, especially if a person knows the theological point about, say, the Sabbath or eating kosher or circumcision or, you know, any of these things, as long as somebody knows the book of Galatians or the book of Romans or, you know, the theology of this and Christian that we are, we do have liberty, your salvation cannot depend on. And as Galatians says, if, if righteousness, that is, if you're rightness before God, if you're going, if you're, if the way God sees you in terms of your salvation or any, or depends on your works, then Christ died in vain. That suggests that if you think that, hey, I'm keeping the Sabbath, I'm really getting some points with God. I mean, the book of Galatians is saying, look, you, you have ended up believing a false gospel. You don't really understand what happened on the cross. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. The entire Bible is about the gospel. It really is. I mean, every little detail about the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the, the feasts and, and the sacrifices, it's all about the, the doctrine of atonement. It's not an easy thing. It, it, it takes a long time to understand the intricacies of the Bible. You can open up to somewhere in the Old Testament and not know what you're reading because you don't know the context or whatever. But the more that you understand of all that stuff, the more that you see it's all, it's all about the atonement. It's all about Christ. As, as Jesus says in John 5, it's, it's all about me. The volume of the book is about me. You search the scriptures, but um, they are that which speak of me. It really is all about him. And particularly this atonement. So I want to say and suggest to you that if you are having trouble with this and you say, well, I'm going to keep the Sabbath because I want to just make sure that, you know, I want to be extra saved. I want to, don't want to take any chances. Read the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians says that is a dangerous place to be. Even if you're just sort of doing it as an insurance card, why don't you know do continue to 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 do it if you're convicted about it? But you got to make sure you you understand the doctrine on this first. You got to understand the gospel. The gospel is more than just a, a thing that you learn in five minutes and you know a phrase that you repeat that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If you don't understand how and why and and how that took place and how that functions. Um, I did two sessions on it recently in podcasts, uh, the, the evangelism one and evangelism two speak a lot about, about that, especially the evangelism two session, a lot of technical details there if you're interested in that. Um, but, um, so moving on, but well, yeah, my point here was that if somebody understands the theology about this and they understand their salvation isn't dependent upon it, this is what this is talking about too, is if a person has a conviction that yes, Oh, I know it. I know I could do it, and, and it's not going to affect my relationship with God. But I don't feel that I should personally. Um, I know somebody, for example, that I use an example all the time. Uh, he is a Jehovah's Witness, uh, or he, he he was not a Jehovah's Witness, but his mother and his brother is. And through interesting circumstances, he never actually joined the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is a very unique situation. And 
Um, if you know much about the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are extremely passionate about the idea of Christmas being a pagan holiday. And, um, and he, uh, as, and he knows he's, he's, he's solid on, on understanding this idea of Christian liberty, yet he has a deep seated conviction to not have anything to do with Christmas, like nothing to do with Christmas at all. Not be caught at a Christmas party or whatever. And, you know, I could say, hey, look, you know, whatever. I could make some points to him theologically, but I don't, I don't think that that's, I think that's what this, these passages are saying. Look, if, if God has given you a conviction, um, then don't tell, that person not to have that conviction you know he is a servant of god who has given him that conviction and i would just guess probably that he to to make that a little more clear jehovah's witnesses can't talk to anybody that's been a member of the jehovah's witnesses they're they're apostates so they can never talk to him again regardless if they're their their brother or their child it's it's illegal for them to converse with them but since he never had joined and and is constantly he's constantly able to witness to them and they would never listen to him if he would was saying oh yeah christmas is cool and everything he really needs for for him to have even a, a chance he really needs to be um um anti-Christmas just like them. So they know that, because that's such an important part of the Jehovah's Witness thing. The whole dichotomy is, oh, you know, they all think Christmas is about Jesus. And so they've been told, kind of like we were talking about earlier, that everybody believes that, you know, Christmas, that Jesus was born on December 25th. And you guys are the smart ones who know that that's not true. And they don't really know that Christians actually don't believe that. So it's that sort of false lie that really keeps them locked into the legalism of Jehovah's Witnessism. It's just a psychology old school trick. And so by him not doing that, another example I've mentioned probably before too, is another one of my friends who totally knows that, um, that it is about the theology of it is very convicted about eating meat. Now, anybody can tell from the Bible that eating meat is, uh, what is it? First Timothy four or second Timothy four. I can't remember. Makes that a, a very, very clear that meat eating meat is not wrong. According to the Bible. In fact, um, points to a time in the future that, uh, Eating meat will be outlawed uh, for some reason or another, and um, or at least in some context. I don't know if it's a worldwide outlaw or whatnot. I, I don't really know exactly what's going on with that passage, but um, but uh, the point is, is that she is ministering, and she, you know, we got to talking about it, and I was telling her about this. You know, if you have that conviction, don't let anybody tell you, hey, you shouldn't have that conviction. The Bible says so and so and such and such. Just let her ha- have that conviction, and and it's a liberty issue and it turns out that she was had a unique opportunity to minister to somebody who was a pagan who doesn't um eat meat as a matter of uh of um you know religion and so for her to ha- have such an inroad with a person who sees that hey you know maybe Christians aren't so bad after all they also um you know it's okay to eat meat with them or what or not eat meat or whatever so and I find a really great example of this in scripture that I think is just a powerful example of this, especially considering like Acts 15, which the council of Jerusalem where everybody met and said, okay, yes, um, you know, we don't need to keep these laws anymore. Circumcision being the sort of catalyst, but clearly by Peter's, um, um, sort of final statement, it was much more broad than circumcision as, as the book of Galatian is too. Yes. Circumcision was the main aspect, but, uh, a million times throughout Galatians, or here in Romans, you can see it's much broader than circumcision or much broader than eating vegetables or keeping days. It's, it's talking about the, the Jewish laws. But in light of, of that, the emphasis of circumcision that Galatians puts on it, uh, for example, they were believing that if they got circumcised, 
that it would make them extra saved kind of thing. Like, yes, yes, we're Christians, saved by grace through faith. We get it, we get it. But we're going to go ahead and, and, and be circumcised too because it's really important in the Old Testament. And, and and Paul even says something to the effect of, you know, if you get circumcised, you're you're a debtor to keep the whole law. Now, that, that verse has tripped a lot of people up, but clearly in context and understanding what I just got done explaining that that, circum, that, that in view of Galatians and Romans and, all, and Acts 15 and all these other places is much more broad than circumcision as, as even the context clearly demonstrates, by the way. But um, that he's, that if you're wanting to go ahead and think that this stuff that you're doing for religious reasons is um, is making you more saved, you better be careful because the last half of Galatians seems to suggest that you can be put back under the law if you want to go under the law. If you think that that's how you get saved, if on the day of judgment you, you go before God and you say, well, I did, I kept this so many days and I, I did this and I did all this and I did this. If that's your argument before your God, then you don't understand the gospel because the only argument that you're going to have, uh, on that day is, is there was another who did keep the law. There was another. Who, who did do these things. I don't deserve anything. It's only by your grace that I stand here today. And it's only because you see his righteousness, that he's given me his righteousness to be able to stand here today as, as a trade-off. I gave him my sin and he gave me this coat to wear. Um, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or as, I, or as Isaiah 53 uh, talks about, uh, his righteousness, the Lord our righteousness. Anyway, that's that's the point. That's the gospel. And and by thinking that something else is going to do it for you, you you're you're actually offending the most important part of the entire Bible. You've kind of missed the entire point. I know I've gotten off track here, but uh we can get back to the Sabbath um here in a minute. So what about the Sabbath? What about the day that God rested? What was so important about that day? That was the only day in the world up until that time, I mean, let's see, what the people, the humans were created on day six, right? So the seventh day was the only day, if you will, that um, that man was in right relationship with God. And we're not told when um, when when Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, I think the old Jewish uh, belief is that uh, they believe it was an hour, <laughs> an hour later. But uh, that's really not scriptural at all. But the point is, is that the they do there is a lot of suggestion because of the way that the the days are said. You know, the the day never closes um, on the seventh day. That's led a lot of really early commentators and um, make a really good case theologically that I won't go into today. That that seventh day was really never supposed to end. That that right relationship we had with God while in the Garden of Eden was not never supposed to to end, and by but the seventh day in that in that scenario was a picture of our reconciliation to God. I mean that's if you think about the word reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciled. That suggests that at one time we were consiled, consolidated um, with God, and. The 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 point in, of that reconciliation is back to um, Eden. Now, try not to think of it. It's important to not terribly important to understand that what we gained in Christ is much more than we lost in Adam. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are the family of God. What we now have as being viewed with Christ's righteousness is much more than we lost in Eden. But the fact remains that there was a reconciliation of, uh, in Eden. And so 
in a way, by the Sabbath saying, look, this, the Sabbath was extremely important, as, as any Seventh-day Adventist will tell you. It was a seal of the, of the covenant that God made with Moses. And men, these covenants are so important to understand in, in this Sabbath issue. This is what I'm saying, that this issue is a much broader issue and, and really requires a very broad understanding of the scriptures to speak with any kind of authority on it. So essentially what a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are doing is they're jumping up and down and saying, look, the Sabbath is unbelievably important to the Mosaic Covenant. Where it starts to get a little weird is when you start to say, yeah, I know, but that covenant is literally gone. We have a new covenant with a new seal and a new sign. And um, and that's where I think that they get really angry. In fact, I had um, a gentleman on Facebook when I started to quote him quoted to him passages like um, uh, in Hebrews where it says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Or I said, uh, quoted at Hebrews 7, 18 and 19, which says, on, for on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. This is the covenant uh, that is you know, spoken of by Jeremiah, you know, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, not like the covenant I made with your fathers in the wilderness, which they broke. This is the covenant Christ says, this is my covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. Um, and so there is a new covenant with a different seal and different, uh, uh, in the book of Hebrews, particularly and other, uh, as far as well as Romans and Galatians and whatnot, also point to this, uh, new covenant and liken it to the covenant made with Abraham as opposed to the one made with Moses. Now, this is really important because the covenant that God made with Abraham is one that is not contingent upon Abraham. That is, that Abraham and his sinning and his children's, you know, doings are not, are not deal breakers to God. God continually says, I'm going to keep my covenant to Abraham not because of Abraham or not because of his descendants, but because of me. And that's what the book of Hebrews makes the point about because uh, with Abraham, because God could swear by no greater than himself. And we have assurance now because we know that God can't lie. And he's what he's doing is he's making the point and drawing people back to Genesis where God made a covenant with Abraham. This is actually pretty interesting how, how this happened too. Abraham gets upset and he's like, you know, God, you promised me all this stuff and you promised me an heir and everything. And I'm just kind of, I'm kind of getting old and I'm kind of a little frustrated now. And, you know, he, he kind of pours his heart out that, you know, what God promised really isn't happening and he believes God and he wants to believe God and everything, but it's kind of hard for him. And that's when God, I picture this scene as like God kind of coming beside him and saying, look, Abe, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this commandment. I'm going to, uh, or this, uh, this covenant I'm going to make with you. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you're going to have descendants. Uh, you know, he just encourages him about it and, and he says, okay, let's go ahead and, 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 and make a covenant. And so you go meet me here and he tells him what to do and where to meet him. And he says, like, I'll be there at like five, basically. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't really tell him a time or he does tell him time, but yeah, I'll be there then. You just go wait for me. And Abraham goes and does this. And basically what they do is he has these, um, these animals, um, you know, as, as the Hebrews and other ancient cultures too probably for the same reason is that this was just how covenants were made with blood. And you even see this in the covenant that comes after the Abrahamic covenant, covenant, the covenant that God makes with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, 
with them, he also says to those people who agree to the covenant, they are then what? They're sprinkled with blood. That sort of starts the covenant off. So, so in this covenant with Abraham, God says, okay, you go here, take these animals and lay them out, you know, and, and, and I will, uh, and what you would do is you would actually walk through them together. You would both, you would kind of put them on both sides and you, you both would walk through them. And so he tells Abraham to do this and Abraham basically goes there and I kind of picture it getting dark, you know, I said he'd be here at five, you know, looking at his watch and eventually he falls asleep and has this vision of God, uh, which is then later confirmed this actually happened. God did it with him, he, without him. He basically put him asleep for the purpose of him coming there and walking through the animals, if you will, by himself. That is, Abraham didn't walk through the animals with him. God didn't want Abraham to walk through the animals and to, to make that covenant with him. He only wanted to do it himself so that it wouldn't be dependent upon Abraham. Does that make sense? This is all highlighted in Hebrews uh, 6. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up here real quick. Hebrews 6 starting about... Let's start about... For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessings I will bless you and multiply and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he attained the promise for men indeed swear by the greater, but an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it, it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Um, he's basically saying that God, we can be we can be sure of this, and we have two immutable things. One of which is that we know and have consolation because God cannot lie, uh, and that's why this this new covenant, which is the entire context here, um, is is much greater. Is that it, it is not dependent upon us. Now, um, if you understand that, you'll understand why. They keep pointing back to the priesthood of Melchizedek here as he continues to do in Hebrews 6 is to say there was obviously something going on differently there and the covenant that he made with the children of Israel, which was a covenant completely different in that it was totally based on their adherence to it. Uh, the children of Israel lined up, read the commandments, said, okay, here they are. This is what we have to do. Who wants to do this? Now, before you answer... Uh, we, here's the terms of this uh, this contract. If you do these things, God will bless you. And if you do not do these things, God will curse you. Basically, that's the whole thing. God will dis, disannul, you will be out of the covenant um, if you do certain things or whatever. So there's a way, very easy way to get out of that uh, covenant through disobedience to the law. Okay? Now, granted... They did have sacrifices and stuff for sins. It wasn't. It, well, you, they did not have to be perfectly obedient to the law. That's what the sacrificial system was there for. Uh, is is basically grace through faith in Christ is what the sacrificial system was doing. If you want to look at it like th like that, but <clears throat> nevertheless, that's the difference. One is dependent upon their keeping the law, and that's what we've already read Jeremiah thirty one and Ezekiel and other places make the make the point that. And there is a new covenant coming, not like the one that he made with the, the, the Israelites. So, 
this one's not like it. It's different. He, he, Hebrew, Hebrews makes the point that it is the other one was no good. It, could, it couldn't have ever done what it was supposed to do. So that's why when Christ said, look, a new covenant here with a new uh, seal and everything else, and we could talk about the different seals and everything else. Um, but it, it does say there in Hebrews 8, 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Or, for on one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And that drawing near to God is what the whole prophecies of the Old Covenant were all about. You know, uh, then I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the sort of chorus of all the the, the prophecies about the New Covenant. The, a deep knowing of God um, and, a, and a forgetting in, of sins. Not just a forgiveness of sins, but a forgetting that's that's um and a changing of their of their personality of their quality which is all accomplished by the indwelling of the spirit of god if you want to look at it this way everything about the new covenant is god has found a way to indwell you um and that's that means that he's found a way to uh forgive you and still remain just as romans um 3 says that he can both remain just and the justifier of those who believe in christ or uh, however, that uh, says that exactly there in Romans 3. But he, he remains just, that is, he is making sure to punish all sin. If he, if he didn't do that, just as Socrates uh, pointed out, how can God forgive sin? I don't know how it could happen because if he did, he would cease to be perfect. He wouldn't be a good judge. He would let sinners go free. That wouldn't be just here on earth, and it certainly wouldn't be just for a perfect God. So he can remain just and the justifier of those by the gospel, that is propitiation, putting the justified wrath on, of of God for you and your sins on Christ, and that transference of Christ's perfect life, his obedience to the law, will be granted to you on your behalf. A trade is made in the cri- cross. God treats you like you lived Christ's life, and he treat, treated Christ as if he lived your life. The difference is, is that he could do that with his son, because he knew that um, sin leads to death and that the grave could not hold his son. Uh, that's why he, his sinless life made him essentially um, uh, impervious to death, which uh, is a perfect way to also remain just in that. Some might say, well, that's unjust, putting it on somebody else. Well, he could take it. Um, we couldn't. Okay, so now back to the Sabbath. So the main thing, People kind of get where I'm going with this, saying, hey, Chris, are you saying we don't need to, to, to keep the Sabbath now? And I would say, just to sum up my conclusion, I'll kind of get back and, and deal with some of the details here in a minute, is to say the Sabbath is a whole lot like eating kosher. Um, it is beneficial for you to rest one day of a, a week. Your body is made for it, just like the land is made for it. Um, the children of Israel went into captivity in, for a lot of reasons, but one could make a case that a primary reason was they're, they're refusing to give the land its rest. It, the soil needs to rest. People uh, may know a lot about that, so I won't go into detail about that. But your bodies are exactly the same way. You need rest. Uh, one day in seven is a really good number. Uh, it's a good time to spend with the Lord and all that stuff. And But it, it's just like eating kosher. It, it, you can eat pork and you're not you haven't jeopardized your relationship in any way shape or form not even a slight even hint of a direction in the negative place because of pork um 
you know, in a negative spectrum because of eating something like that. What I'm trying to say is that, but at the same time, it's not beneficial for you. If you ate a lot of pork, it's not a healthy thing to eat. Just like Paul says, yeah, all things are, um, are, are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So, um, and of course, moderation in all things, uh, and, and these are mostly the, these kinds of things. Now, people immediately try to take this to, um, say, well, are you saying that we can just go on sinning? And then I would point you to Romans that kept continually saying, heaven forbid, know ye not that you who have, uh, have, uh, made, been dead to Christ are also made alive with him and all the rest of the stuff. The basic idea is that, look, you guys have been changed. The, the spirit of the living God is now indwelling you. And if it is indwelling you, you will begin to change. You will begin to, um, be convicted of your sins. You will want to do better. You are your own best critic in the same way that he makes the point saying in times past, the law was kind of like a schoolmaster. Um, we needed a schoolmaster to kind of slap us on the wrist and say, no, 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 you can't do that. But now the schoolmaster is no longer needed because we are trained in that, in, in that we have the spirit, which, you know, as he says, we grieve the Holy Spirit, who is our seal, who is our guarantee. We grieve it in that functions and that we sin breaks our heart and causes us to want to do good. That's what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 mean when they say, you know, speaking of the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, compassion, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness against such. There is no law. There is no law against somebody who has um, who has been changed. That being said, in all those passages in Galatians and in Romans, there is that kind of a summing up from Paul saying, look, Yes, yes, yes. I, the things of the flesh are obvious. Even let's let's turn to Galatians five because that's that famous passage where he 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 talks about the fruit of the spirit. But right before that, he says, um, "Look, I'm not, I'm not saying to sin." He says in, in five seventeen, "For the lusts of the uh, for the uh, where does he say it? Um, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, unclean, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath." selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not er inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, compassion, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Now, the fruit of the flesh, if you are, if you are in, you know, you, you claim to have been a Christian, and yet you are continually in, in, in all these outbursts of wrath or, or idolatry or sorcery and, and and you're still doing all this stuff in continuance then you know the fruit of the spirit is not bearing on your tree should should can a bad tree bear good fruit or can a good tree bear bad fruit if you say that you're a christian and yet you're just bearing bad fruit then the the spirit of god isn't in you because if it was it would bear good fruit it, it god just doesn't change some of his people he changes all of his people um now that that of course doesn't mean that if you got drunk, then you can't, that's the, the, can't inherit the kingdom of God. But I would say that this does mean that if you have claimed to be a, you know, a Christian and it's been, you know, several years and you're still an alcoholic and you're still not convicted about that and you still get drunk every other night or every night, then, you know, you probably, uh, need to consider that. You need to consider this passage. Habitual sin is a fruit of the flesh. Um, and you should be convicted of, of of these kinds of sins. But then there are those things like what we're talking about here. What about not keeping the Sabbath? 
is that a is that a sin? And then, of, of course, the big question with this all comes down to you can talk about the covenants and you can talk about the seals uh, and, and what the new covenant and all the stuff with the Seventh-day Adventists. But the question always comes down to this one right here. But, Chris, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Are you telling me that it's okay to murder and it's okay to, to commit adultery? And, you know, you can actually see some of those things in this list we just talked about. In fact... You, you know, as people, and I'll talk about this many times, you know, the in the New Testament, all these different commandments are reiterated in, in these kind of passages saying, hey, now I'm talking about grace a lot. This whole this whole book is about grace. You guys have been going into a legalistic direction. But let me sum up the book and saying, look, I'm not talking about sorcery and murders and, you know, idolatry. How many of those are Ten Commandments, right? Did he say Sabbath keeping? You know, it, it, people argue, well, he didn't, Paul never told anybody to keep the Sabbath because he it was so obvious that they had to keep the Sabbath. Well, was it obvious that, that they shouldn't commit murder or adultery or, uh, idolatry? Was it, you know, and, and it's even harder to believe knowing that Paul was an apostle to, to the Gentiles. Gentiles, if, if they had to teach them for the first time, okay, guys, we're going to have to start keeping the Sabbath. And wouldn't you expect a few questions to come out about that? Well, can I do this on the Sabbath? And what about this on the Sabbath? Can, can we take, how, what is a burden? What exactly, how far can you go? These are the kinds of, you know, on Sabbath day. Can you walk a mile or two miles? You know, those kinds of questions are necessary. Um, and Christ, I think, really needles the whole Sabbath thing. And it should bother you if you're a Sabbatarian about Christ dealing with the Sabbath. And how he does it, because he really walks that line. And you say, well, he's just not doing the Sabbath laws of man, the, the, the laws that man made for the Sabbath. Well, you know, you can make the case for that David one, and you know, the, the corn in the field and some other stuff like that. I mean, he, he was treading the line pretty close, but what does he say in that passage? He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Was, and that is, that's pointing to Hebrews 4. The substance has come. He is the very, he is the Sabbath. The reason why he told the Jews in the first covenant to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy was to remember, to, to practice, to be a shadow of him, that they, that they would be glorifying him, that they would be, uh, in that, in that practice, be pointing forward to Christ. Christ is right in front of you, man. You know, now he is here. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, and he tells the person, you know, they say, you, what are you working on the Sabbath when he heals the guy and tells him to carry his mat? He's like, I've, I've been working. My father has been working. Um, what are you supposed to believe from the guy except that he's been working? You know, I mean, he says it point blank. And I'm not saying that he, he was disobedient to the law. I actually think that he, he wasn't disobedient to the law in that regard, but he was very, very close. And I think his his admonition that he was a Lord of the Sabbath, he makes a big deal of that, I think, in pointing towards what something that they should have known. Um, anyway, so the question, how is that one going to be different? Or how are you going to say, well, you got the liberty now to, to, to keep a Sabbath or not to keep a Sabbath, but you don't have the liberty to murder or to not murder? Well, um, the, of the laws in the, in the Old Testament, you should you should also take into account things like the laws about keeping the feasts. You know, it says point blank that you need to keep the feast of like tabernacles and whatnot forever for all all generations. And some of the Adventists would say, well, you know, we don't keep those feasts because you know they were shadows of Christ, and now He is here. So we, so they'll say, they'll say the right theology about that stuff, but they will just as easily say it says in other places to keep the Sabbath forever. And, it, and I would say, well, yes, but it also says to keep the feast forever. Um, now, the forever passages 
um, are in reference to the millennial period and afterward, uh, especially in the millennial period where the feasts and uh, the festivals seem to be in uh, in memorial session happening again. And that's what, what, it, what it is referring to. I do think that they will be kept forever in that sense. But at the same time, uh, it is also very clear that those will be for different reasons. And, and if you're going to say that we, that those forevers mean that we need to be doing it now, then you need to be doing the feast now too. But then you find yourself in contradiction of all the places of like Colossians 2.16, which is about liberty, which mentions clearly the new moons and, and the feast days and stuff like that. And they only argue that passage that Sabbaths are plural. They say, well, the Sabbaths there are plural. So we, so that's not talking about the Sabbath. It's talking about the Sabbaths, but they'll, but they have to agree. Otherwise they come to all kinds of contradictions that it's at least talking about the feasts. So they're in kind of a catch 22. They have to admit theologically, okay, yeah, the feasts are uh, no longer, um, no longer required as a matter of Christian liberty. And, and, but the Sabbath, that's not talking about the Sabbath. We need to keep that because it's the 10 commandment. Well, Lots of things to say there. First of all, the Sabbaths, plural, uh, could only be referring to at best like four or five Sabbaths. I mean, you can make a list of the Sabbath of, of weeks, Sabbath of, uh, of days, Sabbath of years, and not a whole lot more. The Jubilee Sabbath, you know, there's not, there's not that many Sabbaths. I mean, to, 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 and I think the other passage I should, uh, should point out is, you observe days, months. This is talking, I think, in Galatians, yeah, Galatians four, ten, uh, which says you observe days and months and seasons and years. I mean, there's just not any more, you know, talking about the Sabbaths here in Galatians four ten. I could get the whole passage so you can see that in context that it is talking about that. But there's no other Sabbaths than that. I mean, he's talking about Sabbaths plural, but he's including the Sabbath. And so they, they do, they do need to include the Sabbath in this theology uh, of the New Testament, that those things were pointing forward to Christ, but Christ is the substance of it. He is our rest. What does Galatians 4.10 say? We now rest from our works, just as God uh, did from his. Compare that, Galatians, if righteousness comes by the law, by works, then Christ died in vain. Um, so anyway, that's a really important, uh, uh, point, but, I do want to continue to needle on this thing of it, of it being a Ten Commandment, and how can we just arbitrarily choose some and others? But but there are there are a lot of things like that. Uh, we we mentioned the, the feasts here. We mentioned circumcision, uh, the eating rituals, things that were totally commandments. Uh, tithes, you know, tithes and offerings were a commandment, not not a not a optional thing, or you know, even stuff like putting hems on your garment and all kinds of commandments about the law, small and great. And we have no problem as Christians saying, oh, well, all those things, you know, they were pointing forward to Christ and they're no longer necessary Christian liberty and all that. But the only reason we don't apply that exact really good theology to the Sabbath is because we have artificially imposed that that one of those types, we'll call them uh, ceremonial laws, laws that were only given to the Jews, um, are, are somehow don't apply to the Ten Commandments. Like they are Ten Commandments, man. You can't you can't mess with those. Those are the Ten because Charlton Heston and, and everything. We, we've come up with a, a new rule about the Ten Commandments that the Bible never makes on its own. You know, God makes all kinds of rules for the Jews that He never cares about the rest of the world doing. You never see God saying, you know, those Gentiles nations not keeping the Sabbath is really burning me up. 
you know, he, he doesn't care about them not keeping the Sabbath. He doesn't care about them not uh, doing the things that he only gave to, to them to do, the ceremonial laws. He's not mad at the nations because they didn't keep the Feast of Tabernacles. He's not mad at the nations for uh, not uh, uh, eating kosher. That, that's, that's not even on the Bible's radar because it's not about them. Those things were for the Jews. What, what was happening with the Jews? It was making a people right after Tower of Babel. Everybody said, Hey, we're going to go ahead and worship these uh, Nephilim or whatever. We're, we're sort of tempted by it and we're going to go ahead and, and, and rebel against you in that way and follow them. And God said, Okay, well, I will divide you up as Deuteronomy says, according to the number of the sons of God. Uh, and I'll basically give you over to them what you want. And, uh, and so he divided them up, said, Here you guys go. And then the next chapter, he is the call of Abraham. Abraham, you come over here of you. I'm going to make a great nation. And he makes this nation and he says, you know, this is a group that I'm going to give a bunch of laws uh, that are not going to be lawless people. They're going to have laws for the purpose of keeping them pure for the purpose of bringing forth a redeemer to save the rest of the Gentiles that went astray at Babel. So this imposed law that eventually he says, look, here's the law. You can agree to do it or not to do it. If you do agree to do it, then I'm going to hold you accountable to do that. And that's why, you know, they, they looked at all those laws and said, well, there's there's tough criminal punishments if we don't do this and don't do that. They went into that eyes wide open. They they were told what the punishments were for these laws before they signed the contract. So so we should remember that when we think of those laws were tough for them. Well, the the point is, and I make this point all the time to people, is that uh, some of those things were to keep them free from demonic attack, you know, impose laws with death penalties about uh, getting involved in sorcery and witchcraft actually prevented a lot of demonic stuff from getting a hold of them and corrupting uh, the line that the Redeemer would come out of. So there was a reason for keeping this one little group pure. And those rules often had, uh, were were keeping them pure through grace, uh, which is through Christ. Um, and that's what a lot of the sacrifices were pointing to and the Sabbaths and everything else. They were all, they were Christ, um, centered people in that regard because of all those laws. But look, the substance has come. Christ is here and the Sabbath is in Christ. There's a great book on this called The Sabbath in Christ by Dale Ratliff. I, I really recommend it to somebody that has a lot of issues with this. Um, I got it loaned out right now. I haven't read the whole thing, but I do know from what I've read, it's just intense. It's really great. He is an ex-Seventh-day Adventist uh, teacher, so he knows his stuff about that. And I find that um, somebody, the, some of the best people to get information like this from are people that have been involved in a deceptive uh, situation about it. Because in order to refute a very good uh, false teaching, you have to learn more about that than the people that are doing the false teaching. It's just how debunking works. you got to learn a lot about the subject matter. And as a result, this is a really thick... Very well done, uh, very thorough and very accurate and theologically sound book on the Sabbath, which you could probably get a sense is a pretty big issue. I haven't even scratched the surface. If you think there was a lot going on in this podcast, you got another thing coming. There is so much to know about the Sabbath, and it really glorifies Christ, as the title of the book suggests, Sabbath in Christ. So check that out. Thanks for listening today. Uh, remember the show notes things here, the uh, the trailer. Go see that at ancientaliensdebunked.com. Sign up for the email alert there. Uh, new podcast on the Revelations Radio Network from Alan Kirshner. Uh, prophecy podcast, I think, uh, Biblical Prophecy Program, I think is what he calls it. Really good uh, guy there, Alan. Um, and, okay, I think that's it. Um, if you've got any questions or anything, don't hesitate to write. Nowhere to run, 1984 at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time. Stay the road, yeah.